We've made it through uh, three weeks in our practice. The first three were prayer. The next three are lament. And uh, you may or may not have any idea what lament is. It might sound sad and boring. It has some components of that, perhaps. Uh, But as I pray and reflect on where we're at as a, a church in our country, and then our church specifically, there's three things that really are on the forefront of my mind that are needs, things that we have to grab a hold of that we commonly don't. And lament is one of those three. We have no idea how to process and be honest with actual brokenness that's real in our lives. We don't follow Jesus and then everything's just perfect. He will be faithful. That doesn't mean everything is easy. It doesn't mean brokenness no longer exists. Yet in our American culture, we often want to pretend it doesn't. And so to really embrace the good news of Jesus, we have to learn how to lament. And so Ron's going to kick that off for us this morning. Cool. Thanks, Landon. Landon looks so sharp today. It's like a little Ryan Seacrest right there. I clearly got dressed in the dark and uh, apologies for wearing my pajamas today. Um, This conversation about prayer that we've been having, I think is really, really important. It's really, really key. And when we kind of shift gears now for a couple of weeks' conversation about lament, just keep in mind, remember that lamenting uh, is an element of prayer. It's one aspect of prayer. And it's an important one for us to not gloss over uh, because there is, quite frankly, an awful lot to lament. Whether you're familiar with the term or not, hopefully it will give you a little bit of help today on what that means, especially from the Bible's perspective, and then kind of go from there. A few years ago, uh, a Disney Pixar animated movie called Inside Out came out, and I loved that. Uh, it, it just, it really, really impressed me. I love emotions, I love feelings. They get a bad rap in the church because we always say, you know, you can't have emotions in the driver's seat and don't let your emotions overtake you and whatnot. But God gave us emotions. And uh, granted, when they're in charge, it can be problematic depending on what the emotion is. But this was a movie about a little girl, elementary age girl, who moved from the Midwest to San Francisco. You can already foresee the troubles that would come with a move like that. And so now she makes the move. It's new city. It's new friends. It's uh, a new house. It's a whole new culture. You, you, you name it, everything's new. Then they cut to inside the control center of her brain. And at the helm of an actual cons- control center in her head, are these handful of emotions. Here here were the handful. You've got joy right in the middle. And you would expect that joy should play an important role in your life and my life, right? That's what we all want. But the reality is there's a whole bunch of other emotions that we deal with, right? And in this case, they gave us fear, the guy on the far right, uh, the far left. And then you got sadness, then the green, you got disgust, and then you've got anger, in red. He was mad because San Francisco had added weird toppings to the pizza. Yeah, and he let, let San Francisco know, thank you very much, you've ruined pizza. And so now all of these emotions are kind of controlling how Riley, this little girl, processes what's going on in her world. 
But the story actually centers around one of these emotions, and it was sadness. And that made me really, really happy, because I told you, I'm not Tigger, I'm Eeyore by default. And sadness in this particular movie played a really important part she, she had a pulse on something with regard to Riley that the others didn't have a pulse on. And what I loved was it just accentuated that sadness as a feeling, sadness as an emotion, actually plays an important role in our lives. And if we start to think that sadness plays no part, sorrow plays no part, grieving plays no part in your life and my life, we're missing out on something actually important that God has given us. Real simply for me, sadness is one of those things that tells me something's wrong. Sadness is a God-given emotion that tells me something's a little bit off the things that are going on right now are not the way they should be. And were it not for sadness a lot of times, I don't know if I'd know it. And lamenting is a, a biblical way for us to grieve, experience sorrow, process sadness in a way that is helpful to us. Lamenting is the word that the scripture gives us. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. If you go to the book of Psalms, a bunch of the Psalms that are songs and prayers in the Bible written down for us, a bunch of those Psalms are songs of lament, prayers of lament where people are grieving things, expressing sorrow. At its face value, to lament is, is expressing of uh, uh, sorrow, it's expressing of emotions, it's a pouring out of your heart and my heart. That, at its face value, is what it is to lament. But biblical lamentation takes it a step further. It's pouring out our heart in a way that invites God into the pain, that invites God into the problem so that he can renew our hope in him, that he can give us fresh perspective, that he might turn our, our circumstances. And then at the risk of taking one step further, boil it down even more, I was reading a passage in scripture preparing for this message that seemed to give even a more specific, kind of cool definition of what it is to lament. And here's what I propose from the scripture. To lament would be to grieve as God wills us to grieve. Which kind of implies that there is maybe a way to grieve that isn't the way that God had in mind. And I would say that that's true. That there is a way for us to grieve or be sorrowful or be sad that isn't really the way that God willed us to be sad. In other words, I think if you are prone to lament or grieve or be sad by just constantly wallowing in it, that's not what God intended. That's not as God wills. Or to completely ignore that there's any sadness in your life or our world or our culture or anything. Also, I don't think that's grieving is the way God intends. And so it's kind of like this. Imagine just for a second that this football represents... The, the pain, the grieving, the sorrow that you experience in your life. 
This is the thing that's like worth lamenting. You know, you can lament both sin and suffering. There's a lot of the stuff that should get us sad or that we should grieve is a result of my own sin, this own brokenness in my own, my own choices. And then there's a whole bunch of other junk that just is a part of this broken world. All of creation has been messed up by sin. All of creation is broken. And sometimes it wasn't my own sin, it's just what's going on in this broken, fallen world and the suffering that comes with it that gives me cause to lament. So here's the pain, whether it's from my own sin or suffering going on. And some people lament by going, what pain? What, what, what is there to be sorrowful about? What is there to grieve? Uh, what, what sin? What, what suffering? I don't have any pain. I don't have any sin. I don't have any suffering. Well, what are you talking about? That's one way the world handles it. I've tried that. It didn't work. Or other people go, no, I got, my, I got some pain. I got some sin. I got plenty to grieve. I got plenty to be sorrowful about. But here's what we're going to do, like a really good running back. I am gripping this pain. I'm white knuckling this pain. You cannot strip me of my pain, no matter what you do or how hard you try. I am not ever going to allow you to remove this hurt, this hardship, this sin from me. You can't strip it away. Because who would I be if I didn't have this to define me? You're not taking it away. And that's, that's, gosh, that's probably, honestly, probably more my inclination, this one. The problem is, that is lamenting in a way I believe God doesn't will us to lament. It's, it's the wallowing or it's the complete ignoring of the pain. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, because here's where I got that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. What, what, what is found here with regard to grieving, I think, is really interesting. In your practice groups or in your study guide, this coming week, you will be learning how to lament. How to lament. I'm not going to talk to you today about how to lament. We're talking a little bit about what it is to lament, and we're going to talk about why we should lament or grieve the way that God wills, because there's a lot of actual benefit to it when we do it God's way. So in 2 Corinthians, something interesting happened. Um, Paul, that's writing this letter to these believers in Corinth, he had uh, started the church there in Corinth. Then he'd left to go plant other churches. And while he, he's away, these Christians get into a whole lot of trouble. And they, they start getting into things that are not worthy of Jesus. It's, it's a mess. And he calls them out on it. In fact, he pays them a visit. And the visit doesn't go well at all. 
And so he decides to leave and not return anytime soon. And instead, he writes them a letter of rebuke that he sends back with a guy named Titus. And Titus has to bring this letter to these believers in Corinth. And now Paul's a little concerned because he's thinking, oh my goodness, what if, what if they don't handle this well? Um, I want them to receive it. I want it to produce something good in them. But I, I don't want them just to be more mad. He's concerned about it. Well, word gets back. It turns out that they did receive it pretty well. They did receive the rebuke in the letter pretty well. It turned their heart and they repented of the junk that they were getting into. And so then he writes them another letter, which is 2 Corinthians. He's already written first. The letter of rebuke we do not have in our scriptures. And then 2 Corinthians he writes as a follow-up. And he's encouraged by how they've responded. That's where we parachute in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 5. Paul's just talked about on his journeys, he's had a bunch of afflictions. Verse 5, in fact, when we came into Macedonia, which is a region that had places like Philippi and Thessalonica, uh, were located in Macedonia where he also planted churches, we had no rest, Paul said. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears inside. This is a guy that wrote a majority of the New Testament saying tons of trouble. And in fact, tons of trouble while he's trying to do the work of God. And the troubles on the outside, the troubles on the inside. My goodness, aren't we in good company with trouble? There's plenty to lament. There's plenty of junk going on. Sometimes I cause it. Sometimes you caused it. But we're all surrounded by trouble. That's, that's a given this side of heaven, unfortunately. But then I love this. Look, verse 6. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. And so trouble is a given, but there's this whole other side. But God, in the midst of our troubles, wants to bring comfort. Sometimes he's going to comfort you in your trouble, in your pain, in your sin or your suffering. He's going to comfort you directly. But a lot of times he's going to comfort you through somebody else. Back to why the church is such a big deal. Why brothers and sisters in Christ are such a big deal. God's given you relationships so that you can be a comfort to each other in the midst of all the stuff that we have to lament. I'm so blessed by that. Then he says, look, he told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter... I do not regret it, even though I did regret it since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a little while. He recognized that his letter was truthful, it was direct, and it had a little bit of a sting to it. When, when we're sinful, prideful, we've messed up, it doesn't feel good to have that called out or addressed. But you know, there's a good kind of hurt there's a hurt that's necessary, right? 
If you've ever had like a really, really bad infection and you just choose to ignore it, that can go septic and then you can die. And so what you need to do then is you need to open up the wound. You need to go down in. You need to dig the stuff out. You need to perform some pretty gnarly surgery to bring some real healing and then allow some time to recover so that you can live. It's got to get worse before it gets better. Sometimes the hurt that we're experiencing is surgery. It's not pleasant. It might feel like suffering, but what it's leading to is actually quite healing in us when we do it his way. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved. Look at But because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Look at verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation. But worldly grief produces death. Godly grief, worldly grief. There's a difference. There's a difference between godly sorrow Godly lamenting and worldly sorrow, worldly lamenting. This is primarily focused on them needing to lament, grieve, be sorrowful over their sin. But I'm, I'm so blown away by how many parallels there are between the, the suffering that we experience and our need to lament that too. It's very similar. They're close cousins. Our need to lament over sin and our need to lament over suffering. What they needed to get to a place was of repentance. There is a difference between worldly grief and godly grief. Worldly grief says everything's awful. End of story. Everything's bad. I'm bad. My sin's bad. The world's bad. My situation's bad. Those people are bad. The circumstances are bad. Everything's bad. I'm stuck. I'm wallowing. End of story. It just gives you bad feelings or leads to death. But godly grief, listen, godly grief produces more than bad feelings. You'll know if you're lamenting as God wills, grieving as God wills. If you can look at your life and see that there's something being produced here more than just feeling bad all the time. Lamenting the way that God wants, grieving the way God wants will not leave you wallowing or stuck or ignoring the issue, but rather it'll bring you healing. It'll move you on. That's why it's such a key, important thing. And so take a look. Take a look at verse 11. Here's what is produced when we lament Verse 11, for consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. Paul noticed this. Look at what it produced in the Corinthians. A desire to clear yourselves. Indignation, fear, deep longing, zeal, and justice. That's a good list of what they're lamenting, grieving in a way that God would will. It produced something in them. It did something in them. And here's what it produced, all of these things right here. In verse 11, if you're into taking notes, then we'll boil it down right here. 
Grieving as God wills or lamenting produces, one, a real diligence. He said he saw diligence in you. A diligence to stay turned to God. When I am pouring out my heart to him, lamenting as he wills, then I'm staying turned to God. That's not my normal default position. My normal default position is go my own way, do my own thing, ignore him. But when I'm constantly turning to him in prayer, even prayers of lament, I'm turning to you, God, to grieve my own sin. I'm turning to you, God, to grieve the circumstances in my family. I'm turning to you, God, to grieve what's going on in our country. I'm turning to you, God, to grieve what's going on in our government. I'm turning to you, God, to grieve what's going on in our world. It produces a diligence to keep turning. If I only turn when I need him, if I only turn when I think about it, I'm not being diligent in it. It's not a way of being. It's just a momentary behavior. And what they're lamenting produced a diligence to stay turned toward God. Then it also produced a strong desire to be cleared. I think of guilt or pain. If you have any sense of your own sin, you're not meant to be stuck there. But I think we're meant to have a sense of it. You show me somebody that has a real sense of their own depravity and sin, I'll show you someone who has a real sense of the grace and the love of Jesus like no other. If you really appreciate Jesus, you know the depths that you're capable of going. And I love that. But same, you look around this broken world, and I think the Corinthians had a deep desire to not have to carry the weight of sin. They had a desire that came through their turning to God, that came through this lamenting about what their life had turned into. I think when we lament, it produces a righteous anger, third, at the devil's schemes. I know we're all prone to this, because I am, but can we please take a break from when you've gone through something tough, you're experiencing something challenging or difficult, stop blaming God. Stop it. I know he's sovereign. I know he can stop stuff whenever he wants to. But we live in a fallen, broken world where there is the prince of the air, Satan, the devil. Why are we using bad stuff as an indictment against God? He's the one messing everything up. And then sin in me beyond that. And then God's the only good thing. He's the only good one. And he's redeeming the whole thing. And so if anything, be mad. Don't be mad at him. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. That's a movie line. That's not from the Bible, I'm going to be honest. (laughs) I think when we are lamenting the way that God wants us to and grieving and inviting God into the sin, into the pain, then it'll produce in us a healthy alarm or fear about our own weakness. 
We like to feel strong all the time. But I propose there's a real value in being humbly aware of just how weak we are. How weak we are to fall to sin or how weak we are to collapse under the pressure of anything even remotely challenging in our life. Remember, it's the word that says when we are weak, then he is strong. That flipped the whole thing upside down. And, but that's a huge blessing and so convenient. So now I'm not running from my weakness. I'm rejoicing in it because now I know it's an opportunity for him to show up. Lamenting gives me a place for that. It also produces in these Corinthians and I think in us a deep longing for peace and purity. Peace and purity. If you got peace and purity, you're probably not lamenting. And then a bunch of this stuff that lamenting produces doesn't happen. But peace and purity is a good thing. That is a place God wants you to be. The very opposite of peace and purity is whatever got you lamenting or grieving in the first place. But to have a deep longing for not sadness and not ravaged by the effects of sin, that's good, right? Produced in the Corinthians a burning heart for God's heart. They had a zeal. And when we lament, I think because it's in prayer, again, God can give us a burning heart for him. And in your hurt or pain, you can say, here it is. Please move my heart in line with your heart. Get it to line up. Get my perspective on this because I don't see this person or myself or the circumstances that we, you do, obviously, so please would you line up my heart and your heart? And as we do, I just want to be zealous for you and just burn for you big time. Isn't it interesting that lamenting might be a way that God builds zeal to catch your heart on fire, starting by saying, this can't be your heart, so give me your heart. And then lastly, I think we get a taste of heaven's justice. I think when we are lamenting, grieving the way God wills us to, praying honestly before him, then we get a taste of heaven's justice. Justice is what he'd seen. You know, when we lament, this is one of my favorite things about it. When we're praying honestly before God about our sin or our suffering, we're honest about it. Then what I love is we're redeeming the moment because the moment is just filled with either sin or suffering or hurt, none of which is the way it is in heaven. That's not the way this is going to be for all eternity. Thank God. But it is right now. So we're just saying, okay, here it is. Now, God, come into this sinful situation or this suffering situation. Even in my prayer, I'm going to ask you to redeem it, rescue it. We're not going to let the enemy win in the midst of my sin or my suffering. We're going to invite the, the Lord into it. And he's going to kick some butt. <laughs> and so it's, it's more than like this. In our lamenting, we remember, yes, there's a football. There is some pain. Maybe I caused it. Maybe it's just a result of this fallen, broken, messed up world. 
but I'm not going to ignore it and I'm not going to wallow in it. Instead, what I'm going to do is lament. I'm going to grieve this by acknowledging it, being honest with you about it. And then remember that you, God, are the ultimate place kicker. <laughs> and and you, you, can, you can come before the Lord and say, here's my pain. Here's my sin. Here's all the stuff that is grieving me. Now, God, in your timing, in your way, kick it out of here. Do something with it. Rid me of it. Take that cool three-step, one-side-step over. I don't care whatever it is you do, but let that thing fly and get rid of my sin, get rid of my pain. Score some points with it rather than the enemy using my sin or my suffering to keep scoring points in my life. When we lament and put it before him and then say, now it's yours, in your timing, in your way, kick it out of here, score some points. Then he wins. The kingdom of God expands through our lamenting and grieving the way God wills. That's what he's invited us to. That's what he's called us to in praying honest, prayerful prayers of lament. And so gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you honestly with our pain, our struggles, and that before you've even changed the circumstances of the situation, you're already at work Help us invite you into what is making us sad. Rather than getting mad at you or turning our back on you or feeling like we have to shove it, stuff it, ignore it. Lord, thank you that we can be honest with you about it. But we want to invite you in. We want you to turn the situation. Thank you that you forgive us from sin. Thank you that heal our broken hearts. There's a lot of places where we need you to change the circumstances. And I'll be bold in praying for that, for brothers and sisters I know in this room. They need a real, just actual change of circumstances. So bring it, please, Lord. And in the meantime, give them strength, give them insight, produce diligence and a strong desire and a righteous anger and all these things that you can produce just as we lament the way that you would have us lament. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. What a morning. Holy cow. Um, man, part of me feels overwhelmed by this beautiful opportunity called lament and lament prayer, lament songs, this opportunity for a heart to align with the heart of God in the way that we grieve and mourn things in our culture, things in our own life, whether it be sin or just broken circumstances and situations that we faced and how beautiful it is that God wants to be a part of those things and meet us there. And I love that analogy of the football, this idea that we can tee it up saying, God, here's my sin or here's this circumstance. And in your timing, as you will kick it out of the park, kick it out of here, get it out of here. Um, so that your kingdom can advance uh, and, and be moved forward. And so thanks for joining us again. My name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. 
And uh, if this is your first time checking out Restoration Church, welcome. We're glad you're able to listen. And uh, if you are looking to jump on and be a part of that trellis, um, go ahead and go to our website, restorationaz.org, and uh, click the trellis button at the top and you can sign up there. And uh, we'll be reaching out to you shortly um, with more information. So as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who's trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.